All right, Bob. Todd. Dude, how are you? Todd, I'm great. Nice. You have a good day? I had a great day. Did you? I did. Nice. And yeah. um, you know what else was pretty awesome? What? We got to talk to Rand Fishkin. Yes. So we talked to Rand Fishkin today, and you heard that correctly. Did the, we talk to Rand Fishkin? The Rand Fishkin. I think we talked to Rand Fishkin. I'd like to say that over and over. I mean, this It's is, a really cool name. It is. It's a, it's an amazing name, but also Rand has been one of my like marketing idols, like professional career idols for a while, and boy, he did not disappoint. This was just it was a fascinating conversation about, you know, his beginnings at, you know, Moz, which used to be SEO Moz, his blog and um, you know, kind of growing into um, this second founder experience that he's got with Spark Toro, which and, is like, which is an incredible platform. Yeah, I, I've been talking about it for a while now. After learning about it, and can we get him to sponsor this episode? <laughs> it's not, but we it should be. I'd be more than happy to. Like, we're we're going through all the notes of of the questions that we covered in this episode, and like, it's endless. I think I could write a book just so, with all the stuff that he told us, because he was. So unlike pretty much every other episode that we've ever done, like we've we've had some really great people on this show and there are more great people coming up. Right. But the answers that Rand gave to some of the questions that we asked were just chock full of knowledge, chock full insight. (laughs) Like so here it was just to give everybody a little a little tease. We we talked about. What do you not like about building a business? <laughs> that was that was funny. Um, what led you to leave Moz and and start SparkToro? Um, what else did we cover? What what skills do marketers today need that marketers one year ago did not need? Um, and just so many others. Like what's you know I, what what was the last time you tried something totally new in business that you've never done before and did it work? I think I think what my favorite one was we asked him what he would do if he had a bunch of money to acquire new customers. And mm. how he would spend it and why. Yeah. Just and his like, answer just kind so of insightful. surprised me. Yeah. It was really good. Um, so let's get this episode started. Um, again, the Rand Fishkin. All right, everybody. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Subject Matter X. Todd Stewart here. Bob Khaleesi. And we are so thrilled, um, really, really thrilled to have today's guest on on the show today. Rand Fishkin um, has is is here. Rand, how are you? Very well. Thanks for having me, Todd and Bob. So let's here's here's what we know about you. Um, you are the you you were the CEO um, and founder of Moz. Um, you are the current founder of Spark Toro, which we're really thrilled to learn about. Um, you're the co-founder of inbound.org and you recently released a new book, Lost and Founder, which I think might be one of the most clever names out there. I, I love that one. And, um, and overall you have, you have about 20 years of marketing experience. So we're going to dive into this and learn about your career, learn, learn about, uh, your, your marketing mindset, your philosophies. Um, and, and yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's get this started. So now that we know all of this about you, what, what's something that we don't know? Like what's, what's a, a fun fact? Uh, I was once on the Oprah Winfrey show. Get out. Yeah. As a guest, uh, got to go on stage and meet Oprah and see a lot of cheering fans who were very excited about meeting her. Uh, and what were you talking about? <laughs> uh, my wife and I were on the, one of the Valentine's day episodes because I had proposed to Geraldine, via a 
television commercial that aired during her favorite show and um, at, at the time and, and then set up a little uh, video camera in the corner of the room, which was hidden, that taped oh her gosh. reaction. And that reaction <laughs> video sort of went a little viral on YouTube. And yeah. This is amazing. Actually, we're, we're pulling this up. We, we, I think <laughs> we'll definitely put a link to this in the show. Notes. We, we are. We, are mean, we, were, we were very, very young. Like the, the video is so old now that I don't think it was even actually on YouTube. It was on some pre YouTube competitor. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. So this is, this is a long time ago, but um, obviously the Oprah Winfrey show was also still broadcast on television, which is a long time ago now. Uh, but yeah, kind of a, a, a crazy weird thing. So every every now and then someone will be like, oh yeah, you were on Oprah. Kind of funny. <laughs> I was kind of That's hoping amazing. you were going to say that you were on stage going, you get a Moz and you <laughs> get a Moz. <laughs> Everyone gets a Moz. I think we, we were on the show before that happened, I think. And so we oh, didn't wow. even have that sort of reference for like, oh, what is, what is being on Oprah like? But yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. It, actually, I is so... I don't have the Oprah episode, but I have there's there are there are videos similar to this. Yeah, there's there's a few videos out there. It's like, um, you know, Rand Fishkin proposal or something like that. If you search for that kind of stuff, it's real cheesy. Oh, my gosh. It just ignore the fact that, you know, the the guy on there has no idea what he's doing. But um, on the plus side, Geraldine said yes. And we got married in. Exactly. All, all that matters. All that matters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, um, and and the wedding was awesome. And the last ten years of marriage has been even more awesome. So let's let's start like kind of early on in your career. Just out of curiosity, like where did your interest in marketing begin? Uh, let's see. I was designing websites in high school, and I think I was mostly interested in the sort of design and artistry side of that, the creative side more so than the marketing. But of course, when you build websites for people. The goal is actually to reach an audience and to uh, craft a message and an experience that will resonate with them and help turn them into customers. And so slowly over time, uh, I merged from or I, I emerged from kind of my, you know, artistry, creative cocoon into a world of, oh, let's see how we can make websites that actually help people uh, succeed. Mm. Were, were you always sort of in, in that tech space or did you have like career uh, you know uh, a job earlier on like like what what were you doing in in high school did you did you have a job there uh no the only i mean the only work i did in high school was was literally web design and only a few side projects basically for um clients of my mom's small business marketing consultancy so she nice. you know she brought home a copy of what was that microsoft front page right and so i I got into that and was designing some sites and I think uh, maybe got, you know, basically the equivalent of some extra allowance money for, for building some <laughs> websites in high school. But this was, you know, this was 1996. So, you know, back then a website was like a little bit of text and some colors with some flashing GIFs on it. Yeah, there was a lot of like Angel Fire and GeoCities. And, yeah, um, I mean, I prided I myself I on having... communicator. <laughs> I prided myself on having better looking websites than GeoCities, which was a low bar. You know, you're building these websites and you were two classes away from completing your degree in finance yeah, at right. um, University of Washington. And you left to start the company um, that would become, you know, SEO Moz and then Moz. What drove you to do this? Um, 
I would love to say brilliant entrepreneurial spirit, but that is incorrect. <laughs> you can uh, say was, that, that works. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, it was primarily two things. Uh, one, I had gotten into a fight with my dad uh, a year before, and he sort of, you know, threatened to stop paying for college, and I um, made him follow through on that threat and, uh, you know, started started working part-time at... Um, at the Wizards of the Coast Game Center, the only other job I've actually uh, had besides my own companies. And, mm-hmm. you know, just as a receptionist at the front desk. And, uh, and I bought a bunch of Pokemon cards and resold them on Craigslist and eBay to pay for tuition. <laughs> Get out. Um, really? No, serious. Yeah, yeah. It totally worked at the time. Because, you know, employee discount, it was like, you know, you'd buy a pack of cards for $2 or something and you could sell them uh, to parents all over the U.S. for Twelve, fifteen dollars a pop. So get out. Yeah. You see, you're 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 much smarter than I am. I I you sold them right when the time was right. I, I still have mine, and you know it's not really looking like it's going to prove out any any value in the long run. <laughs> Todd, I don't know if you want to actually announce that to the world. <laughs> don't worry, they're on, they're they're way back home. They're underneath. They're in the attic somewhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So um, basic story was I I just I didn't feel like I was getting all that much out of college. I was having more fun doing web design stuff and um and i had been dating a girl and she broke up with me and i was sort of uh lonely and lost and uh, so i dropped out of school and i probably spent a month moping around and then decided hey you know maybe i can maybe i can make a go of it with this with this web design business with my mom and uh, we started doing that full time together in was at the end of 2001, start of 2002. And, and then from, from 2002, so you were running that from 2001 to 2002 to a, right around 2004? Uh, I wasn't running it. My mom was always CEO, you know, president. Uh, I was mm-hmm. just the, the web design guy, right? I was, I was doing kind of the behind the scenes work. Um, and yeah, I would say that business sort of slowly cratered until it hit rock bottom in maybe 04, 05. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we just, we, we spent way too much money on things we shouldn't have. We did not have um, good discipline around margins. We found a bunch of customers who couldn't pay or wouldn't pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the, you know, all the classic mistakes. And um, it was only... You know, I, I had sort of started this blog to learn to um, learn and share SEO stuff called called SEO Moz. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I started that maybe late '03, early '04, and it was a side project. You know, it was basically because we couldn't afford to pay our subcontractors who were doing the SEO work, mm-hmm. and I found that practice both interesting and very frustrating. And so the SEO Moz blog started taking off and then clients started coming to us or potential clients started coming to us uh, for SEO specifically rather than for, you know, um, web design and, and marketing consultancy. That's interesting. So people were finding the blog and then they were, you know, learning that you knew about SEO and then coming to your firm. Yeah, I think you it was know, for, a very early, very early version of content marketing. Right. We, did, we yeah. wouldn't have even called it that back then. Right. It was just like, no, man, I got a blog. <laughs> but yeah, that that is exactly what happened. How did content play a role in Moz's growth or SEO Moz at the time? But then as it transitioned into Moz, 
Um, you know, but there's also a corollary that I'd like to ask you, um, which is if you're going to go back and do it all again right now, today, would your chat strategy have changed? And if so, how? Uh, yeah, let's see. So uh, I'll try and answer both of those questions. So they, uh, the reality is that I think Moz was entirely, certainly it's for its first decade, decade and a half, uh, a business built entirely on content. Right. It was essentially the blog and the Q&A forum and the guides and the Whiteboard Friday videos and all of the slides that I put out and, uh, you know, and, and the team uh, that, that we eventually hired. That, that drove uh, hundreds of thousands, eventually millions of people every month to come visit the website, many of whom eventually tried out the software once we, once we had software. And mm -hmm. many of them became customers. And that's essentially what what built the company. I think today you could argue that maybe, you know, there's probably some uh, sales driving some of it and, um, you know, the tools themselves to a certain extent are driving a little bit of it, but uh, the, the content was always the foundation of the business. In terms of whether I would do it again today, uh, so if the question is, would you go back in time and do it the same way you did it, the answer is absolutely. I think that uh, content was a huge competitive advantage because of when we started in the space, the fact that there were few other players who were uh, either willing or able or great at you know, sharing content around SEO and helping people learn the practice. Um, if the question, however, is would you today do exactly the same thing, the answer is no. And I think you can see that pretty vividly with SparkToro, where essentially we are taking a, an approach that is less driven by, hey, Rand's going to blog every day, and more driven by, uh, let's release some free tools and do some more market positioning and work on word of mouth type of things and trying to build a lot of the um, a lot of the company's reputation and visit worthiness around brand and around mm -hmm. the product rather than exclusively around content. And the, the reason for that is multifold. Uh, certainly one of them is that I don't, I don't think that um, in the space that we're going into, which is audience intelligence, that there's as much rich educational focused content to be shared and created uh, and I don't think there's as much search volume for that type of information. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's much more brand building as opposed to latent demand serving. Uh, I would also say that compared to 10, 15 years ago, uh, the landscape of how challenging it is to draw traffic to content uh, is pretty vast. So so that, that's actually interesting. Somebody asked me this question the other day. I, I... I kind of had to think about it for a little bit, but I want to, I want to pose it to you is it, it for, for companies that are just beginning and they're, they're starting up, should they, or, or actually, sorry, let me, let me pose it more like in your shoes. Like, like how would you approach, approach this? You, you're starting a company. Would you rather try to position yourself as the brand that's leading the company or the company's brand moving forward? Like, like, do you position yourself as, as the expert and then try to pull people to your brand name, like my, my name. And then I just so happen to run this company versus, 
hey, just get this company's name out there? Totally depends on what you're trying to do. Uh, what you want to build long term and short term, right? I, I think for um, for many people, they are looking to build a personal brand that can stay with them throughout their career. And the individual company that they're with right now or building right now is less important to them than the ability to have an ongoing presence in you know, a field or a positive association or having people know them, like them, trust them. Uh, and that, that's fine. And then there are people who you know, want to build something and sell it. Uh, or want to build something and have it be able to operate very independently of them. And I think for those folks, branding the company around the personal brand is probably a mistake. So it just mm -hmm. depends on what you want to do. So you said a little earlier that, that going through this process was both interesting and frustrating while you were building SEO Moz and Moz. Um, why frustrating? I mean, in the early days of SEO, the search engines were super secretive. They're, they're actually still somewhere between secretive and misleading around information, but, but so too was the industry. You know, this was a very opaque, secretive, uh, almost obsessed with keeping their practices from one another uh, type of place. And trying to provide some transparency and openness and share what we learned and what we knew and what we discovered uh, with folks, you know, without charging them any money was relatively revolutionary in the early days of the field. Can you take me through a roadblock that you faced while you were building this? Yeah, I think one of the most frustrating parts of most of the years that I was building Moz and, uh, and running it certainly was this problem where the product was always behind the marketing. You know, the company was really good at crafting a story that resonated with people and having content that people loved and getting tons of visitors, having lots of people cheer for us in the industry and, and sort of love the brand. And then they'd try the product and it was good in the early years. It was certainly better than almost anything else you could get out there for a long time uh, in the SEO software field. And then, uh, even, but even in those early years, it never sort of met the promise of the marketing, meaning the product always lagged behind what the um, sort of promise of the, of the, you know, marketing was, which was kind of like, we will help you uh, solve your SEO challenges, right? Like mm -hmm. you set up a Moz account and we will help you find all the things that are wrong with your site and fix them and identify the right keywords so that you can do better targeting and, uh, you know, find the links that you're missing that are helping your competitors outrank you and all these kinds of, you know, problems that the software should solve for you. And it did sort of a semi good job of some of those things most of the time, but it had a lot of downtime and a lot of issues and some of the data was inaccurate sometimes and some of the key features were missing and it was always playing catch up. And with SparkToro, that is a problem I just, I'm just unwilling to deal with. And so we raised um, a, a considerable amount of money for, for two guys sort of working in a shed, you know, mm -hmm. out back of my house. Uh, Casey and I raised $1.3 and we wanted nice. to give ourselves a long runway to be able to, you know, build and test and show people the product we're building 
and get to a really excellent place before we launched so that the marketing you know, would be something that we would do after we had that extraordinary product rather than sort of something where we start out with, uh, oh, we're telling this amazing story. And then you go try the product and you're like, gosh, this this is not quite there yet. To agree with you, it's like I, I, consumers nowadays are just, uh, they're crazy smart and they can pick up on that. Maybe maybe before they, they, they didn't see it as much. Um, but yeah, consumers are damn savvy. I would say that is part of it, although it's a, I think it's an industry by industry thing. Like I know plenty of industries and plenty of entrepreneurs who go into a field and they say, this market is so poorly served or so underserved or completely unserved that I can offer something very early stage, very basic, very MVP, and people will go crazy for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are other fields where, you know, if you release something subpar, no one's even going to check it out. Uh, so I, again, I think it's kind of industry by industry and, and our, you know, this is something where entrepreneurs can kind of take their, their choice of which problem they want to have. Um, I think it can be great to do early marketing for a product and build demand before something launches. And certainly we're doing a little bit of that, but I think that um, under promising and over delivering is, well, let's just say it, I'm much more excited about that to try that out this time around. This choice um, that you say entrepreneurs have choosing which problem you want to tackle, right? Or which problem you want to have. Was that a big driver in you leaving Moz to start Spark Toro? Or is there something else that catalyzed that? <laughs> uh, definitely something else. Yeah. So okay. um, <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's see. I'm trying to think. I think I, so I, I wrote about this on uh, my blog when I, when I left Moz, which was almost exactly a year ago. Um, and that is kind of that, you know, if, um, if, if zero is kind of like escorted out of the building by security and 10 is, you know, you leave and give hugs to everyone and, um, and everyone's cheering for everyone else. And, you know, it's just, a million percent happy. My departure was like a four. So somewhere between voluntarily left and non-voluntarily left, like in the middle. of It was time. (laughs) Um, I mean, I feel like that's leaning the other side of the hump, but yes. Okay. (laughs) It depends. It depends. Yeah. Yeah. It it might be the story probably depends on who you ask. Yeah. But, but you build a great company and now, now spark Toro is about to, about to hit the scene. (laughs) <laughs> well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I think it's going to be, we're really optimistic on this show. Yeah. You guys yeah. Are. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the way. No, so, I, so I, actually, I like optimism, but I'm a little bit, I'm hesitant to, to dive all the way into that world. I think that, I think it can pay to be a skeptical entrepreneur. Being skeptical. Like what do you not like about building a business? Oh God. A, a million things. I mean, <laughs> it is, um, I would say that building businesses is definitely not for everyone and probably for very few people. It's a risky, challenging, um, can be, you know, mind numbingly, uh, complex and difficult. The, um, I mean, the, the parts, the parts that I love are, hey, I want to solve a problem and I want to build a product that solves that problem. Then I want to go tell people about this problem that we've solved and, you know, show them 
um, how this innovative solution can help make their lives better. And I love that stuff. But that is 10% of what an entrepreneur, especially a founder CEO does, right? Mm -hmm. 90% of what you do is um, hiring and managing people and uh, managing the complexities of the business's finances and taxes and HR and employment law and structure and setup and funding and investor management and you know the list of things that sound super not fun that you will do is so long i i have a tremendous amount of respect for for business owners and entrepreneurs especially uh, small business owners because i think that you know they get to they get to do maybe 10% of what they love to do and and 90% of it is stuff they hate doing that's really annoying and they do it because there's no one else to do it so you wrote a book we mentioned it earlier lost and founder right which is billed as this honest field guide uh, to the startup world i was going to ask you what led it or, or what led you to write the book but i think you just said it yeah um and i think i think a really great part about the book. So I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. Um, I know you have too. Um, I've worked for an organization in the past that was built around supporting and helping other entrepreneurs called Young Entrepreneur Council. Yeah. Um, I think a great part about your book is that it's somewhat of a comforting guide for other founders. You know, it helps people feel like they're not alone. Um, but how did you, you know, obviously this book didn't exist until you created it. So how did you help yourself overcome that feeling of isolation as an entrepreneur? For me, spending time with other entrepreneurs who faced similar challenges and were in similar situations was almost certainly the, the best way to do that. Um, and then I think having a really supportive network of people around you, you know, for, for me, my, my romantic partner, my, you know, my, my uh, longtime girlfriend when I was at, at, Starting Moz, uh, who's now my wife, has been for 10 years, 10, almost 10 and a half years. Uh, Geraldine was hugely supportive and um, lots of friends and, you know, coworkers um, as well, uh, investors. Um, yeah, that, that was that was a huge part of it. Nice. I love that. I love that. Well, we'll we'll link to the book in our show notes. So everybody listening, if, if you uh, if you want to grab you know, gra grab a copy, just go right down to the bottom of the page. But we, we'd like to shift gears a little bit and start to pick your brain when it comes to the marketing space. Sure. Um, so like marketing's changed um, I've, and it's and, you know, there's industries moving, moving quickly and, and marketers. We, we, we like to, to joke around that they, they always gravitate towards like the shiny objects. Mm -hmm. Um, and every year there's like a new shiny object, but I guess like what, what, what skills do marketers today need that marketers one year ago don't need? Oh, one year ago. Gosh, I, I actually don't think there's much of anything. I don't think marketing moves that quickly. I think that maybe if we were talking about five years or 10 years, the skills would change. But I don't believe, you know, I don't believe in sort of, to your point around shiny objects, right? I don't believe, mm -hmm. oh, you know, I feel like marketers today have to be really knowledgeable about you know, VR or cryptocurrency or blockchain or AI. And a year ago, they didn't, eh, I don't buy that stuff. Um, 
I think that marketers today- You mean there's not going to be a new blockchain marketer job description on the market tomorrow? Oh, there absolutely is. (laughs) And if you apply for it and do a good job at it, you would have been able to apply for something a year ago or two or three and done a good job at that too. The fact that using catchy buzzwords does not mean that um, that, that a, a truly new skill set exists or is required. So is there anything that's catching your, uh, catching your attention in the marketing space right now? Yeah, I think one of the biggest trends that we're, we've seen probably started about five years ago. And I think most of us noticed in the last two or three years more heavily is this switch in the way the big monopolies that control the web uh, operate, right? So I think, you know, as Facebook was building and growing itself as Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Google, YouTube, uh, Reddit, all of these, all of these big platforms, right? If you take a look at the sort of top 50 most trafficked websites and the the, the ones that are um, properties where you can do web marketing, places where you can do that, all of them grew for a long time by offering uh, marketers and brands and you know businesses the opportunity to leverage their platforms to earn traffic and attention and awareness um, and to do so mm-hmm. pretty organically. And in the last few years, that has switched to a world where these platforms are all trying to extract more growth. And by growth, I mean, you know, um, quarter over quarter revenue growth to show Wall Street by uh, competing with and uh, uh, destroying a lot of the visibility uh, that you could organically earn on these platforms. And that, you know, that includes the traffic that you could earn from Google search. That includes the visits that you could earn from you know, Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter and YouTube and Reddit. Uh, it includes the ability for your messages to be seen by wider swaths of people on those platforms. Uh, so th- I think that, that we're entering a world where these platforms have gone from enablers of marketing to competitors. So for companies that want to build their content up, you know, from a traffic perspective, from a visibility perspective, you know, given given that shift um, and this more competitive nature, what should they be focusing on? I still think I still think that that most of what marketers should be doing is driving people back to their websites and their email lists, because those are the only properties that you can own and control. And for as long as you can extract value from these platforms, which is which is shrinking every every month, every year. Uh, you should do so, right? I think that it's only going to get more difficult. It's not. It's not like these platforms are going to suddenly turn around and, you know, increase the amount of traffic or the amount of visibility or the or decrease the amount of competition that you have on these platforms. Um, and so I would I would still focus on earning that traffic back. I think it's just a harder than ever, and b it's a different game that you have to play in order to have success. So now that it's it's harder than ever, and they are playing a different game, as as uh, has there been any marketing tactic that someone's did that that caught your eye? Yeah, I think that um, a lot of folks are 
still doing still doing or or um, finding ways to do good jobs in terms of using their uh, presence across these platforms to build brand awareness by being uh, highly interesting and engaging around things that are not necessarily pure commerce focused. So what I mean by that is that rather than trying to, you know, use the social media platforms and the search engines and the content networks like, like YouTube uh, to market their products and sell people, they are using these platforms to engage with people around messages and memes and uh, topics that are driving high engagement. And that sort of speaks to the algorithms that the platforms are building to keep engagement high. And mm -hmm. it also gives them lots of brand awareness and visibility in those algorithms, which they can then sort of spend later to um, extract more traffic and visits and conversions. So for marketers building content, um, you know, that they're going to promote through these channels. Um, do you think that there's a different skill set that you need if you're targeting a B2B audience versus a B2C? Um, no, no, I don't think so. I, let's see. At least the difference is much smaller than the difference between um, various types of B2B versus B2C, right? So I think if you're selling... Um, you know, yoga studio memberships uh, versus you are selling cars, that difference, while those are both B2C, that difference is much broader than if you are selling, uh, let's say, you know, um, high complexity um, uh, industrial manufacturing software versus mm -hmm. uh, high complexity corporate management software. Are, are there any errors that you see um, companies or, or people uh, commit when when they're focusing on SEO nowadays? Oh, God. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's... <laughs> that was a layup, right? Always, always been true, always will be true. <laughs> I think the question should have been, not are there any, but what are the biggest? Oh, God. Uh, the list is so long, but I think, let's see, a few of the big ones are uh, folks focusing on uh, trying to optimize for keywords that are no longer sending great traffic, either great quality traffic or great quantities of traffic. They look in, you know, whatever Google ads, or they go to, you know, a platform like SEMrush or um, Ahrefs or Moz's Keyword Explorer, and they see, oh, this has a lot of volume. I will target this keyword. Mm -hmm. And what you should be doing is you should be going to um, look at what's the volume, but then what types of results show up? What does Google actually put in the, in the search results there? Do I have an opportunity to get visibility and traffic from this, or is Google going to swallow it up with their own properties or instant answers or featured snippets or knowledge graph or four ads above the fold plus a local one box plus an image box plus a bunch of YouTube videos, um, I think that looking at organic click-through rate percentage, which is which is a metric that some of the platforms offer, I think Moz does and Ahrefs does, a couple others, uh, that is a very, very good idea. And unfortunately, not a lot of people are doing that. 
Mm, I think there's also um, a big mistake being made when a lot of folks do content marketing for SEO. They put out content that they think will serve their customers and, uh, and no one else, right? So they basically are, are producing whatever it is, blog posts or guides or you know, white papers or product pages that they think, okay, this is content that will serve my customers and it should rank for these keywords. And the problem is you are not going to rank unless people amplify and link to what you have produced. Very few folks optimize for uh, who will help amplify this and why. And unless you have a great answer to that question, your success is going to be minimal compared to people who do. Is that how you approach content marketing at SparkToro? Yeah, I think that's, well, to the degree that we do, we do some content marketing, not not as much I mentioned um, as what I did at Moz, but yes, when whenever I publish something, I try and think about why will influential publications and people link to this and share it and amplify it uh, rather than, you know, will this help me sell copies of my subscription? This may be, you might want to take this as a more general question or with regard to SparkToro, I'll, I'll leave that up to you. Um, but if you had twenty twenty thousand dollars in your budget to acquire brand new customers, how would you spend it, and why? Uh, I would almost certainly try and build a free tool that lots of journalists and bloggers and uh, highly followed accounts on social media wanted to use and share, and then I would uh, publish that, and I would reach out to those people and offer them free access. It, w- it would be a free access tool. And the reason that I think that is so incredibly useful is because those types of people are constantly looking for things to amplify. Like that's that's what their job requires. Uh, and when you provide them with something that is free and high quality and useful and usable uh, that they can play with and that is hard to replicate, so content, relatively easy to replicate, uh, tools, right? Um, interactive elements and, you know, put in X and get Y out of it, uh, much harder to replicate. And so that's why, you know, a lot of the content marketing we've been doing with SparkToro is actually around free tools. I mean, in, in the past, I've been user uh, a user of a lot of your free tools. I still have the the Moz bar up, oh, up yeah, at the sure. top. Yeah, I, I still use that every day. But I guess like what what new tools have have you started using? Speaking on this on the tool theme, but um, that that you're liking. Uh, what new tools from other people? Could be from other people. Could be what what you are making. What you've currently made that that you think you uh, you know is just is is super sticky. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, the biggest one for us has been uh, a free tool called Trending. It's essentially you connect your Twitter account and it shows you what are the most talked about, shared uh, pieces of content in the web marketing world every day. And then it does sort of a weekly and monthly roll-up. So if you were on vacation for a week and you want to see what was happening, you can do that. And that um, that is a tool that I personally use every day. Even if no one else used it, I'd be really glad that we made it. Uh, and then <laughs> you know, it's also meant that thousands of people have connected their Twitter account and you know, thousands of people visited every day. And, um, it sends lots of traffic to these to these places, which then 
shows up in their analytics as like, oh, Spark Toro is sending us traffic. Cool. Let's let's go check that out. Um, mm-hmm. So has sort of a great halo effect. If you put your prediction hat on, is there a marketing trend you think is going to go completely bust soon? Hmm. Marketing trend, I think, will go completely bust soon. I think the pure uh, Instagram influencer world is in a risky place. Um, And the reason I think that is not because I think Instagram's use is about to decline, but because I think that the platform itself, you know, Facebook is looking for growth. They are looking for more revenue um, and... I think that they're going to look at the $10 billion a year that's spent on influencer marketing, primarily on Instagram, and they're going to go, yeah, let's take that. We should, mm-hmm. be getting, we should be getting the bulk of that, if not all of it. And, uh, and I think that that is going to make it very hard for sort of sponsored content and sponsored posts and people who make their living through Instagram um, to be effective and to have reach and to sort of play that game. I, I suspect, um, I suspect that's going to be a hard hit one. And there's also a bunch of, you know, obviously legal challenges, right? The UK just passed a bunch of, uh, laws around disclosure. The, the FTC has issued a bunch of laws around disclosure, uh, guidelines around disclosure. And I think we've seen a few people, um, get hit by that, uh, you know, the, the whole fire festival thing, I think brought a lot of that into the public conscience and there's going to be some backlash there. Uh, I think brands are seeing that the um, effectiveness of those tactics is not what they thought it might be. And mm-hmm. so there's just a whole confluence of problematic issues that I think are, are facing that space of like, you know, Instagram influencers. Is there a, a, a current marketing myth that you just like, you just want to bust? <laughs> um, gosh, uh, I, I am not a big believer that AI will transform marketing. Mm. Uh, w- why not? I just, uh, I just don't see how and why uh, the... Certainly not in the near term. I guess if you're talking about 50 or 100 years, sure, anything's possible. Uh, but if you're talking about next 10 years, I don't think artificial intelligence is, even in 10 years, I don't think it will be good enough to write uh, an ad that can compete with a, a decent brand marketer. Mm. So you think brand marketing is going to stay for the long haul? I, I just think that uh, most most forms of marketing, web marketing included, brand marketing included, uh, will continue to rely on human creativity and human-powered efforts. And I think that AI, I don't even want to say AI. I think that some forms, some very specific forms of machine learning uh, will be applied to tools in ways that help those marketers do their job better. But other than that, I I think most of it is a fad or not even a fad. It's a, it's a pipe dream. You heard it here, Todd. We are, uh, we're, we're safe. We're not losing our jobs to the robots anytime <laughs> soon. Yeah. Rand, you just made my day. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's just the, the world of humanity that makes your day, right? People, um, 
people do not resonate with uh, messages that have been machine learned on uh, messages that historically worked, right? People, people resonate with new stories. They resonate with uh, emotions and people are still vastly better at creating emotional elements than machines. And I think that's going to be true for a very long time. So along that same line, uh, you know, with, with humans, be, you know, being capable of, of kind of trying new things and, and really coming up with creative solutions to the problems that are out there. Um, when was the last time you tried something completely new, completely unique, either in business or marketing or, or what have you, um, that you'd never done before? Maybe you didn't even know if it was going to work or not um, and did it. Hmm. Something completely new that I have never tried before in the business or marketing world. Um, so I, I mentioned that, uh, you know, SparkToro raised some money last year. Uh, this was June of 2018. I have never done that before. I have never sort of pitched angel investors and, um, you know, tried to get them to invest in basically a whole new and entirely new structure of business. Um, one that almost no startups, uh, certainly no startups in tech um, have notably had. And, and it, magically it worked. Um, I think it worked both because, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a network of people who know me and trust me and believe in me. And um, I was lucky that it, you know, it is sort of a good time economically when uh, a lot of folks are, are willing to take some risks with their capital and um, and also, I think there's some interest in alternative forms of funding and alternative structures of companies that aren't just going for you know billion dollar exits, but are uh, thinking about like how do we build a long term profitable business that can you know uh, spit off some uh, dividends to its investors, and that's. Um, I don't know why that's so viewed as so crazy and unusual, but I'm hoping to actually change that with, with Spark nice. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So your investors and the idea of building this, this scalable business aside, um, what's keeping you up at night? Ooh, gosh, right now I am struggling with, uh, a few things. I think one of the biggest ones with Spark Toro is trying to, uh, do a good job of explaining what the, what the product does. Uh, and I think that is a challenge because we are building something that is not kind of a clone of other things. And it's not in a field that many people are familiar with. So here, I'll ask you guys and you tell me, right? Cause you're, you're marketers and entrepreneurs. I'll tell you uh, the type of information that we provide. And then you tell me what the field is called. Oh, I like this. All right. Okay. I'm <laughs> let's, in. Let's play a game. Yeah. I'm yeah. In. Here, here's the game. So, uh, when you go and try and do marketing for a new company, right? You're helping out a new startup or you are, um, as an entrepreneur, right? Trying to figure out, uh, uh facets of your audience's, um, proclivities. You go and you do, maybe you run some surveys, right? Up to your audience and you ask them things like, um, you know, what websites do you visit and uh, what social accounts do you pay attention to and which podcasts do you listen to? Or what publications do you read and subscribe to? What email newsletters do you check out? Um, you know, what do you watch? What, what YouTube channels do you subscribe to? What events do you go to, right? All those kinds of uh, pieces of information. 
which you need mm-hmm. because if you don't know, then how will you ever do good marketing to actually reach your audience? Yeah, for sure. What is that called? Um, I, I mean, I this hmm. is a little bit of a joke. All right, you go first. I'm I'll a go huge. So I'm a huge nerd. I love like Star Trek, and I've been watching the new series on CBS lately. Um, I don't know where you're going with this one. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say you would call it Vulcan marketing because you have to mind meld with your customers <laughs> and extract all this information like straight out. Oh, of your head. so I, okay. First off, a, I love <laughs> oh where your gosh. head is at. I love where your head is at because um, you're you're speaking my language, nerd world. But but I I, I should have asked the question. Uh, I should have phrased the question more carefully. What do marketers? Man, man I, we lost Bob. He is dying laughing over here. I'm I'm still with you, but he's like buckling what, over. <laughs> what what do what do marketers currently call that practice? Customer research. Yeah, like market research. Okay. Right? I yeah. mean, I think. I think I think you are correct and yet I bet if you go to the top 10 results for market research or customer research in Google, you will not find articles about how to do that. Which is weird. Hmm. So so what are, so what are you finding? We are finding that people say, Let's- "Oh yeah, I do that. I don't have a name for it." Really? Yeah. So like you're I trying to I don't call this, it something. So you're trying to establish like a firm name for this category of but, marketing activity. Yeah, which of course is I agree with you. It is it is a a kind of customer research. Most of the time I think unfortunately for us when people do customer research or market research, what they really mean is um or what they tend to mean is Uh, how many people are in this market, what's the market size, how much spend is there, who are the competitors. And when they say customer research, they mean um, what are our, what does our audience need that will, that our product should produce. And that, that's what you tend to find when you, when you do the the Google search results, it's very like product research driven, Um, Mm -hmm. which is, it's very true. Yeah. I wonder if you flip that question and you asked um, like a professor, an academic somebody. I wonder what they would say. Because yeah. the first thing that I came that that I thought of, which it doesn't fall into this category, but for some reason it was the first thing I thought of, but then I didn't say it, was ethnographic research. But ethnographic is more like immersion. Right. And I'm putting myself in into that world. But like I wonder if there is a term in the academic space that would be totally different that businesses and marketers don't even think about. And for everybody listening, Todd is actually a professor. Which is why he's going down this road. <laughs> this road. Well, it's like because ethnogra- I think ethnographic research is fascinating. It takes a lot of time, it's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but it's arguably the best data that you can capture. Which, which not. Eh. Oh man, I'm opening up a can of worms right here. It, <laughs> yeah. Don't don't even don't even get me started. Some people may not agree with that statement, but but yeah, no, it's a really good question though. Yeah, yeah. I think I think a lot of folks will do demographic, psychographic, and ethnographic research about their audiences. Um, and even when they do that research, they still won't come away with, oh, this is the podcasts that my customers listen to. Here's where I can do marketing to them. So I, I won't argue that I, that I agree it should fall under that type of research, but it, it, it generally, when people do that type of research, or often at least, it is not included. And so... 
you know, so are you in the process part. of of category building or <laughs> exactly like, <laughs> category yeah. building which is really hard that's what keeps me up at night is category yeah. building versus oh tons of people are already doing seo i made a product for seo right like mm. it, it, much more direct what, what do you do well we help people do seo all right great yeah. got it what, what do you do well we help people do something called audience intelligence what's audience intelligence Okay, <laughs> let, let me break yeah. it down for you. Um, so that's a very different kind of marketing. And it's, it's certainly something where I, I worry about the challenge of that category building. So, so you know what I'm really pumped for? It's, it's March 25th right now, 2019. And I'm really pumped because March 25th, 2020, a lot of people are going to be saying consumer intelligence. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope so. I'm, I'm, I hope so. I'm pumped for that. I'm pumped for that. Um, so a lot, a lot of people to date and still do, they look up to you as as a strong marketing role model. A lot of people who you definitely have never met look up to you and say like, yeah, like Rand Fishkin, that is awesome. Like, like whatever he says, I, I'm listening to. Oh, geez, um, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> so. Somebody who has a lot of people looking up to him as a role model, I'm really curious, who do you look up to as a role model in the marketing space? Ooh, in the marketing space specifically. Um, yeah. Gosh, the, the list is so long. Um, I mean, geez, I've been, I've been really, really impressed by a few. There, um, there's a few folks that I've been following and paying attention to uh, in, this, in different spaces that I've been trying to uh, learn more about. So, um, in PR, there's a woman named Sarah Evans, who I think is just a, um, a brilliant mind and a, and a, and a wonderful educator of folks about the PR, uh, digital PR world. Um, in that same world, uh, I've long been a huge fan of, uh, Lexi Mills, who does a lot of very creative campaigns and, and marketing around that stuff. Um, been a big fan of, um, uh, Melanie Diesel in the native ads space um, and and seeing what she has built uh, and what she's she's helping folks accomplish and understand. Uh, but nice. yeah, I mean, if you go to my Twitter account and you look, I, I only follow about 150 people and that th those are they. Those are the gems. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Those, those, are, nice. those are the folks that I really admire and look up to and try and learn from. So, Rand, we're almost ready to wrap up here. I've got one last question for you. What marketing wisdom would you put on a billboard and why? <laughs> on a billboard? Right outside the biggest, biggest company in the U.S. I don't know. Right or, outside like the, every, or every, every billboard, billboard on the highway. Yeah. Every, every billboard on the highway. And I'm trying to Seattle, help Seattle is blanketed with this billboard right now. What okay. It? And it's it and the goal is to help people do better marketing. Yeah. Hmm. I think I would spend much more time than the 30 seconds I'm thinking about this now, but <laughs> uh, I would almost I would probably share something to the effect of um tell stories that resonate emotionally in the places where people already engage. That is the best mm. way to reach your audience. So not on billboards. Uh, or not maybe, on, 
most places people don't engage with billboards very much, but you know, there, there could be some exceptions. I like that. Awesome. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, Ram, well, we cannot thank you enough for coming on the show. This has been a, an absolute pleasure. Um, really, really thrilled to, uh, to take some of this knowledge and, um, you know, and, and, and share it and get it out and for everybody to, to hear and listen to, um, for, for people that maybe want to reach out, they want to, they want to pick your brain. What, what's the best way? Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm most active on Twitter where I'm at Randfish, uh, but you can also drop me a line, Rand at SparkToro.com. I love it. Awesome. We'll throw those in the show notes. Thank you so much, Rand. This was a great conversation. All right. Thanks, Rand. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Subject Matter X. Uh, if you liked it, and we hope you did, please head on over to iTunes, give us a rating, uh, five stars if you think we deserve it, and subscribe to the uh, to the podcast for uh, all of the episodes that we have coming up. You can have them beamed straight to the listening device of your choice. We are on iTunes and Spotify and Google Podcasts or Google Play for Podcasts, whatever it's called. Uh, Stitcher, TuneIn, and a whole host of others. Uh, or you can go find us directly at SoundCloud or our website, contentpair.com slash podcast. Um, if I missed one in there, you know, track me down on social media. Let me know and I'll add it next season. And every episode, like Bob just mentioned, is brought to you by Content Pair. We are a white glove platform that helps businesses create amazing content for their blog by pairing them with subject matter experts. So if you are a business looking for expert written content or you are an expert like many of the guests that come on our show uh, and you want to get your name, your voice, everything out there, just come on over to contentpair.com and sign up. Thanks so much for listening.